the Remarkable People podcast. Check it out. The Remarkable People podcast. Listen, do, repeat for life. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Remarkable People podcast, episode 47. In this episode, you're going to see what happens when a soon-to-be college graduate attending a career fair runs into Boston Consulting Group, one of the largest and most prestigious business consultants in the world, and as an artist, applies for a position. And not only that, she gets it. So today, our special guest is not just going to share insights on branding and on empathy and how to market to customers and present yourself. She's going to go a lot deeper. Today, we have Susan Hamilton Meyer, and she's going to share her remarkable story and journey of going to school, hooking up with Boston Consulting Group, attending a small university called Harvard, and then continuing into her career and taking the creativity and art that God blessed her with, those abilities, and learning how through self-reflection and understanding who she is and being empathetic towards herself and her customers, she staying, sometimes being a round peg in a square hole, but doing a great job, how she learned to not hear the negative self-talk, how when she heard it, she turned away, and how imposter syndrome didn't cripple her, and how you can stop it from crippling you. All this and more in today's episode of the Remarkable People podcast. So hang tight to hear Susan's remarkable story, and please check out and listen to this sponsor ad. You're going to love it. Thanks for listening. Can't wait to see you again at the end. Watch the short ad. Listen to the podcast. Repeat the information. Do what it says and have a great life. I'm David Pasqualone. Welcome to the Remarkable People Podcast. I'll see you at the end. Hello, friend. Are you a homeowner? Do you want to be? Do you live in North America? Specifically, have you ever considered Pensacola, Florida? Do you live in the Pensacola, Florida area? If you do, today's sponsor may be perfect for you, but the same information may help you wherever you're at. In history, mortgage rates have never been lower. However, our country's in a state of flux. With that flux, it's anticipated that mortgage rates are going to steadily climb in the near future and long term. So with mortgage rates at the lowest they've been, now is the time to buy or refinance a home if it's in your plan. If you're looking in the Pensacola area, our economy here is booming. Property value is higher than it's been in years. And with the interest rate low, now really is the time to buy, refinance, get a second home, some rental properties, you really should explore your options. Are you renting? It's quite possible you can have a mortgage payment lower than your rent. That's right. You need to talk to Pam Heinel, 
Pam Heinold has supported us since day one of the podcast. She has helped so many people I know get their dream home, relocate to Pensacola, and she does a phenomenal job. So check out, whoop, check out pamheinold.com. Her name, the proper spelling is in the show notes. It's P-A-M-H-E-I-N-O-L-D.com. Look around at the properties available or just give her a call and let her know what you're looking for and she'll find it. And then if you have a home you're looking to sell and cash out on while the rates are high, talk to Pam. So again, thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you, Pam, for sponsoring the podcast so we can all listen and grow. And now enjoy episode 47 of the Remarkable People podcast. The Susan Hamilton Meyer story. Enjoy. Hey, Susan, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. I'm excited to have you here today. Ladies and gentlemen, as we send the intro, this is Susan Meyer, and Susan is going to share her remarkable story with us. So, Susan, go back as far and as deep as you want, pick out the obstacles and challenges that, that you feel you need to share. And again, we have listeners from all over the world, 70 plus countries. Our primary audience is America, but everybody needs what you have to offer. So thank you for being here today. And then when you're done sharing your story, we want to hear about where you are today and where you're going so we can help you get there. So at this time, Susan, take it. The mic's yours. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. So where to begin? I think... You know, in a nutshell, I'm the artist that landed at business school, and that has been sort of this defining dichotomy of my personal and professional life. And, you know, it's more of a blessing than an obstacle in in many ways to have these kind of two passions and two different ways of looking at the world that like reside within you. But for a long time, I didn't see it as a blessing. I saw it as this like, you know, two warring forces inside of me. You know, I'm this like really creative, really visual person who like thinks with the head in the clouds. And at the same time, I'm also very logical, very linear, and I really enjoy math. And, you know, I ended up being a strategy consultant. And I'll get into a little bit of how that played out in my career and how it now plays out in my career. But that's kind of the, the very beginning of the story is, you know, my mom's an artist and I, I didn't know, I thought everybody had a closet full of art materials and went to museums all the time. I now know that I when now that I have children that not all children enjoy going to museums. <laughs> but, but yeah, not, not much. <laughs> not mine, but So I, you know, I was always an artist and that's very much part of, you know, my identity, my DNA, and I just like to make stuff and I'm very kind of sensitive visually. I really enjoy beauty and, and I enjoy making things with my hands. And so I went to college and I did a lot of art there. I actually studied art history. I got really interested in learning the stories of those artists and kind of how they came to make the things that they made. 
and making those connections over time of like who influenced who and how different styles and trends developed. And so that was my whole world. And I was really planning on, you know, I was thinking about going into arts administration or curating. I did an internship with Sotheby's. I did an internship with the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts. And I graduated from college in the middle of a really bad recession. I graduated from college in 1992. And, um, you know, some of the kids right now probably can relate to what that world felt like back then. You know, people were getting laid off from their first jobs after like three months on the job. And there weren't a whole lot of jobs out there. You know, even in the best of times, there's not a lot of great jobs out there in the arts. It's, it's competitive. It's something everybody wants to do. It doesn't pay particularly well. And so when I went to a school where corporate recruiters would come to campus and they were typically recruiting for jobs in finance and management consulting. And those were things I knew nothing about. I had taken one economics class, Economics 101, which I actually really liked to my surprise, but I did not know how to open a spreadsheet. I had placed out of math when I got into college, so I hadn't taken a single math class. And I was like, well, I, you know, maybe I should turn up for some of these interviews because I don't know what else I'm going to do next year. You know, how am I going to get a job? Well, it quickly became clear that finance was not my bag. But I thought consulting sounded really interesting. You know, they came, the McKinsey and Bain and BCG, and those folks came to campus and they gave these cool presentations that were like, you know, if you're the kind of person who likes to solve puzzles and unlock complicated problems and questions, and I thought that sounds interesting. And they gave these case study examples of like, you know, here's a company facing this set of issues. You know, what questions would you ask and what would you do? And I was like, that sounds cool. So I went on a bunch of those interviews and frankly, most of those companies took one look at the art history major and they were not so sure, but the beauty of the case study interview, which is also a method they use in business school case study classes, where you really just, you don't have to come in with any ingoing knowledge. You just have to come in with an open mind and a curious mind. And that suited me really well because I had no ingoing knowledge. But I came in and I, I, you know, they would give me like a, a problem or a scenario and they would say like, what would you do? Imagine that you're, you know, a first year consultant and you're asked to solve this problem and what are the different questions you would ask? And so I thought that was super cool. And I ended up going to work for BCG and they were the Boston Consulting Group is what that stands for. And, you know, they historically were a very kind of academic firm. They really believed in like big thinking and they tended to hire people who did come from diverse backgrounds. And I really liked that about them. And I was so grateful that they took a chance on me and they definitely had to invest a lot in me to train me to do that job. And I learned so much, but you know, the downside was that I was really a fish out of water there. You know, I was working alongside all these great people, many of whom I'm still friends with, super smart but they were kind of wired differently from me. And, you know, one like small example is like when you put together a PowerPoint deck, you weren't allowed to put any pictures in it, like none. And I thought, oh my gosh, how am I going to communicate? Right? Yeah. And your art side is just screaming. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
so two things happened there, which were kind of cool from an art, from a visual and artistic perspective. One is that I fell in love with graph paper and, you know, we did at that time, we actually drew all of our slides onto graph paper and they had stacks and stacks of graph paper in the supply closet. And I was like, this is so cool. And I still, to this day, make art on graph paper. I now buy this cool archival graph paper that I sketch on, but I really fell in love with that. And I, and I enjoyed kind of drawing out my thoughts. And so the drawings were, you know, they weren't art and they weren't pictures, but, you know, representing information in a graphical format was something that was very important and still is very important in management consulting. So I got kind of into that and um, I'm still very passionate about this whole idea of envisioning information, like how do you communicate something that's pretty complex and quantitative in a visual way, I find really interesting and, and important, right? Like if you think about what's going on in the world right now, we're asking millions of people to understand really complex science and frankly, statistics around COVID, right? And you know, the better that you can convey that in a chart or a map or a graphical format, that's the way that you're going to be able to communicate with people who aren't used to taking in and nor should they be taking in that kind of detailed information. So, so that was kind of my experience there. And the other thing that happened there is that because I wasn't very good with spreadsheets and there are lots of people who are very good at that. I, I got assigned to the projects where there was like an interviewing component, you know, so I would go down and interview like the shop floor manager in a warehouse and I would interview like the middle manager in, a, you know, one of the client firms or one of their competitors. And so I developed that skill and I started getting really interested in like hearing people's stories and you know, that skill, which you obviously have, this is what you do as a a podcast host, right? You kind of draw people out and ask them a little interesting questions and kind of find out their, you know, uh, story that they didn't even know they were going to tell. Draw out what's inside. Yeah. And so that has also led me um, into what I do now, which again, I'll get into that in, in a second, but I'm a brand strategist now. So the two things that I came out of that management consulting experience with is I loved this idea of talking to people. And ultimately I did a lot of consumer goods work and we did a lot of consumer insight, like consumer research, interviewing, focus groups. And I got really fascinated with this emotional connection that people develop with the brands that they love, you know, the brands that they're loyal to. And so that was ultimately what led me into branding, but that's all after business school. You know, I, so I worked for the Boston. Actually, if you don't mind, uh, Susan, pause before you go on, because Boston consulting groups, no joke. I mean, that's like the top consulting group globally, or at least one of the top consulting groups. So for you to step in and just to go into that world a lot of people wouldn't have applied for the position because they'd be intimidated. And a lot of people, when they got there, like you said, you were surrounded by some of the greatest minds. What was the adjustment like? Like they're normal people, just like us. They put on their pants the same way. However, they think different. So what was the adjustment like going in from the environment of let's say normalcy to that high end environment? 
So first of all, youthful ignorance is a beautiful thing. You know, <laughs> that's the answer to the question of how, how did you actually even get up the nerve to apply for the job? You know, I just walk in. I was nervous. I mean, I was definitely nervous going on those interviews, but you know, you go roll the dice, see what happens. You're young and, and what have you. In terms of the transition, it was a stressful time. I'll be honest. I mean, it was, it was all those things you said. It was intimidating. It was challenging. I felt like I was running to play catch up. You're, you know, you have that um, imposter syndrome all the time. Like maybe they made a mistake hiring me, you know, like, am I really supposed to be here? And then, you know, as happens, you, you get to be friends with the people who are your peers, who are, you know, all smarter than you, right? And you're like, oh my God, how do I fit? But, but then they're just people and they're friends and you realize everybody has the same fears in different ways or in different aspects of themselves. And, you know, like you said, they're just people putting on their pants one leg at a time. And, and I just decided to look at it as, a, as an education and that I was so great. You know, it was a free education. And I tried really hard to, you know, contribute and add the value that I could add. And I did discover that there were things that I could add that were a little bit different from what other people brought to the table, like that interviewing piece. I also, you know, discovered that I was, I was one of the few younger members of the team that would often get brought to the client presentations and, you know, that kind of verbal, verbal skill. So you sort of start going, okay, I have that feather in my cap. Okay. This is something that, you know, I do well, even if I don't do these other things as well as these other people, that's okay. And, you know, that's such a important life skill to be able to walk into a situation where you're a little intimidated and, you know, everybody feels like they're a little bit better than, or you think they're all a little bit better than you. And just to be able to kind of hold your head high and remember that there are things that you bring that are special and different and, you know, rock those things, you know, you can only be who you are, but it was, no, it was challenging for sure. Yeah. That's great advice. And so if I'm hearing you correctly, what you're saying is when you have these opportunities, don't shy away from them, take them, remember what you're good at and you're gifted at focus on those and move forward and don't hang up, don't get hung up on the rest. Right. Absolutely. I mean, that is something, you know, I tell my kids, like other people are going to believe in you more than you're going to believe in yourself. And when they tell you that you're good enough, believe them, you know, <laughs> don't yeah. walk away because you're not sure that you can do the job. Go in, you know, somebody offered you that opportunity, go in and try hard. And, you know, they gave you that opportunity for a reason. It wasn't a mistake. Yeah, no, well said, well said. And I like how you say that there are how many times in our lives that other people believe in us more than we do. We got those demons in our head telling us we're no good, telling us we can't cut it when that's just a lie from Satan. So, <laughs> awesome. so I didn't mean to cut you off, but I did want to pull back because some people never heard of Boston Consulting Group. Some people have paid Boston Consulting Group for their consulting, so they know what it costs, but they're in the, the it's like the NFL of consulting. So it's a big deal. So go on. I didn't mean to cut you off, but now you're with consulting group and you're moving forward. Continue your story. Well, actually, that question you just asked me is a great segue. I was I was about to tell you about, you know, showing up at business school, which was 
again, the same process where you're like, oh my God, how did they let me into this place? First of all. So, so quickly before I say that, so the, the chronology was I spent three years with the Boston consulting group. The last year I spent with them, I actually was working on a project in Singapore, which was a challenge in a whole other way. I had never been to Asia. I had never lived anywhere outside of the Northeast of the U S and that was also intimidating and exhilarating. But I ended up staying there for another three years after I left BCG and, you know, I wanted to work in the arts and, and check that out because that was what originally I had wanted to do. And I was offered a job in theater, running a regional theater in Singapore. So I did that for three years before going back to business school. And I wasn't sure that I should go to business school, which is part of the reason why I did that job. And I did it for three years and kind of was thinking about it and thinking about it. And ultimately I decided to go and it was another round of you show up. I went to Harvard business school and you show up and you go, these are, these people are the best of the best of the best. And do I really belong here? Like, did they let me in because I ran a theater in Asia, which is just weird enough to be cool and interesting. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, truly. And then there was this kind of iconic moment that, that lives in my head of, they give you the Myers-Briggs test. You're familiar with that? It's like an aptitude or, yes. you know, not aptitude, but it kind of, for people who aren't familiar, it looks at your sort of way of being and way of working on four different dimensions. And then it gives you like a letter for each, you know, it's like you're either you know, an I or an S and that stands for intuitive versus sensing. And that has to do with how you process information and how you approach problem solving. And there's, so there's four of those. So you come out of this test with these four letters that are like, this is who you are. You know, you are an INFP or you are ENTJ, right? So what they did was they put us all in a room in a big auditorium and they put a slide up on the projector and it showed the, I guess, 16 quadrants, right? There's four, four times four. 16 yeah, four main and then four sub, yep. Yeah, of what box you might fall into depending on what your four letters were. And then they put dots in the, populated the boxes with dots. And those dots stood for, you know, each one of us in that room, in that class, there's like a thousand of us, were our dot. And you see very quickly that like, there's a huge cluster of dots in one quadrant in the, you know, upper right or whatever. I believe it's ENTJ actually. And then there's like sparsely populated areas in a couple other places. And then there's like a couple of rando dots on other spaces. So not surprisingly, I'm one of the rando dots, which is like (laughs) nowhere near, (laughs) nowhere near where like everybody else is. And then on top of that, so yeah, really, truly, what am I doing here? Luckily, I was standing next to a couple of other people who were also random dots. And they were like, oh, my God, are you in that cluster? No, I'm not. And I'm not anywhere near it. So, okay. But um, actually, before you go on, isn't that interesting? Then in a room of a thousand people, you guys somehow gravitated towards one another. 
truly it is you know it's funny because i think a lot of the people i ended up making really good friendships and connections with were probably not you know we're the outliers right i mean i also am friends with some that were squarely in that in that space but yeah it, you do you gravitate toward kindred spirits and I think the people I was standing next to that day, one had come from nonprofit and the other one had come from fashion. So also like non-traditional, you know, they hadn't come from like investment banking or what have you. But then, you know, the next overlay in the end of the story is that, you know, they then say the, whoever administered, the administrator that were teacher that was talking about this, presenting the dots, said, so you'll see that, you know, most of you cluster around here. And what's interesting to know is that, you know, 80% of CEOs and 80% of world leaders also cluster in that cluster. And then you're like, oh, <laughs> okay, so not only is everybody here different from me, but also all the people that, you know, we're all supposed to be aspiring to be are also different from me. And what am I going to do with this information? So, you know, it was, again, it was an amazing education and I'm so grateful to like the Boston Consulting Group actually sent me to school there. They have like a tuition reimbursement program. And that was, I couldn't be more grateful. I learned a ton. I have lifelong friends from that experience, but it was much like that job, first job experience, this, this feeling of like, am I in the right place? Am I really expressing all of who I am? You know, should I be here at all? And, and yet there were things that I really enjoyed. I did continue to gravitate towards strategy in particular toward marketing. And there was something of the experience for sure that was like, this is me and I like this and I'm interested in this. Otherwise I would have left or, you know, not gone in the first place. But it was this kind of exploration of how do I make sense of the bits and pieces that are me that don't fit into what we think of as like, oh, this all makes sense together. People who are like this do this. And what the reality is, you know, as I am now older and wiser, when I look back on that experience is that like probably everybody in that room in different ways was having that same thought because nobody is really like, the perfect mold of, oh, that's exactly, exactly how I am and exactly what I do. Everybody's got different bits and pieces and that's what makes them interesting. And so, yeah, so that, that was like a lot of my early career experience was like, how do I find my spot? You know, and then I went to work for in, you know, in branding, which is structured much like advertising where there's kind of strategists and creatives and that's what they're called they're called creatives and i i was a strategist because that's the background i had come from and i was constantly struggling with like but does that mean i'm not creative of course i'm creative like i actually have something to say about that mood board and i actually have some thoughts about that logo and so i ultimately found myself or i found a spot for myself in an agency where they were very open to that because they're not all a lot of times it's a very siloed situation, but I worked in a place that we had a lot of interaction between the strategy and creative teams. And I really enjoyed that. And there I got to put lots of pictures in my presentations. So <laughs> I got to make collages all the time there. So that was really fun.
Cool. Now, when you were on this journey, how did you continue to stay motivated and to not let the the self-reflection in a negative way and capture you? So people who have this self-doubt, these negative thoughts, how did you learn to whew, push that away and keep moving forward? What's some steps we can take? Well, I mean, first of all, I would say that you know, I didn't fully successfully manage to push that away. And so like in terms of advice or what people can. Well, I mean, by the way, let me clarify that. We're all going to have it. But when it came, you obviously learned to get rid of it. It may have came every day, but you learned to move forward. How did you? Life hack. So, so at that time, while I was still early in my career, what I did was said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to create both parts of my life. They may not live together in my job description, like the one that pays me, but I'm going to have an artistic and creative life that lives alongside my role as a strategist. And so I carved out a little spy lived in a, when I first moved to New York after business school, we lived in this like weird triplex built apartment where there was like two sets of staircases inside the apartment. And I made this nook underneath one of the staircases and I didn't have to be at work until 10. And so I would get up real early and I would spend a few hours down there and I would write poetry and I had a sketchbook in there. And I had this like creative life in that little space. And I, you know, in reflection, that was really my first studio space. And then I would go to work and I would, you know, be my corporate self. And, and not that that work wasn't creative, it was creative in a different way, but, but I sort of needed to allow for that other part of me to live on, even when I was in like the most structured, rigorous kind of logic brain environment of my career. And, you know, and then I just continued doing that. And as time went on, I actually got a studio, like a proper, you know, old rundown warehouse building in Brooklyn and like building full of artists. And we would have shows and parties there. And, you know, I would go there whenever I didn't have to be working. And, you know, I made big paintings and that was just great. And that was kind of my journey for a long time. Before I started my own business, I had this kind of side-by-side career and I, I actually showed that work in galleries and so it, it had some kind of real professional gravitas to it I mean I never intended to or made that my primary career but but to have it feel like sort of real and professional and that I was really able to express that side of myself in a meaningful way that other people could see was important to me Yeah. And pause there for a second, because we live in a day where, you know, 70 plus percent of the people are not happy with their, their life and their job. And they're always trying to pursue that dangling carrot. But something I'm hearing out of your story is you love what you did, but you also loved that other part of you. So you weren't doing this to, you know, have a side hustle or build a side business. You did it purely because you loved it. Correct. That's right. That's right. That kept you fulfilled on the inside. And for us, we don't have to always have one or the other. It can be both. And you just segmented in a way where you had your creative side with the strategy 
And then you had your artistic side, which you still had strategy because you, you put the strategy in that whole process. So, but I just want people to understand it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It can be everything. You know, we can have our cake and eat it too, so to speak. So that awesome. That's really the big insight for me when I, when I realized that that's what I was doing, because honestly, if I hadn't been doing, that was a survival strategy at the time I started doing it, because if I hadn't been doing that, I would have been one of those people who said I hated my job, even though that wasn't the case, but I would have felt trapped because I wasn't able to express all of myself. And I, I suspect, I actually think there's research on this, but that those people who are unhappy, it's, it's not so much that like they're actually in the absolutely wrong place for them. It's that it's not enough because we're complicated people and we have broad bandwidth to be interested in a lot of different things. And if you shut down a part of yourself, of course, you're going to feel uncomfortable. And there are very few jobs, especially like an office job, that's going to allow you to express all those parts of yourself. And so that's why, you know, this was a while ago now that we're talking about in time. And I think now you see everybody's got a side hustle. Everybody's got an Etsy shop. Everybody's got, you know, I do this and also that much more so now than was the case 15, 20 years ago. And I think that's really healthy. And some of those things make money. Some of those things don't. Some of those things make very little. Some, you know, so people can sort of curate their career in a way that wasn't as acceptable in the past. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think pursuing your passions is definitely something you should do as long as it's in balance and it's not wearing you out. You know what I mean? There's some activities we do that are just get us in the cycle and it exhausts us. So you did it where it was balanced and you enjoyed it and you brought it to a professional level, like you said, but you weren't doing it to become famous or to become rich. You did it because it's what you love. So I really respect that, Susan. So, all right, continuing your story. I don't want to cut you off, but I definitely want to hit on that because so many people struggle with that in life. Yeah. I mean, so that's really how I ended up starting my own business is that in the end, I knew that if I were working for an agency or a consulting firm, I would, I mean, you know, in fairness to those companies, they have to create a job description, right? They can't just say, I mean, maybe some very creative forward thinking companies actually can do this, but most companies from an HR perspective, they can't just say, hey, come on in and let's see what you like to do and what you're good at. And then we'll kind of work it out, right? They, <laughs> they have to figure out like, what's the structure of our team? And we need this many of this type of person and this many of this type of person. Whereas if I run my own business, I can do all the stuff that I like to do, even if they don't make sense together in the traditional model of an agency, I do the stuff I like to do, and then I can contract out for the stuff that I don't like to do or that I'm not good at. And so that was a big driver of, you know, leaving the world of the employed and going out on my own, which, you know, is terrifying because you go, okay, I'm not going to have a paycheck anymore. And I'm going to only, you know, eat what I kill. Like, you know, like, will anybody hire me, little old me with no brand name company behind me? It's a, it's a frightening prospect. And when but, you did it, did you even feel there's almost like you have all the freedom now 
where you feel like it's wrong or guilty for having the freedom. Did you go experience that? No. Like when your works, oh, you didn't? Okay, yeah, because like for me, it was like- <laughs> I did not, and and you know, I'll tell you something else interesting. I recently, no, not that recently, a few years ago did, you know, Brene Brown, who's amazing, and she has this values exercise, and it's a very simple exercise. She gives you like, I don't know, many dozens of words that could be like a really deep value for you. And you have to choose two and only two that are your core values. And this seems like a straightforward thing, but it's actually really hard when you start doing it, you go, all of these things sound great. Like family, commit, I love loyalty. Yes, yes, yes. You want to say yes to all these things, right? Because they're all good things. And then you kind of force yourself to, to narrow down to like five or 10. Okay. These are the things I really do care about this. And you start to see a picture of yourself in those things, like what you left out being as important a part of that picture as what you chose. And then when you come down to those last two things, I'll tell you what mine were. And they were, it was such a like, oh, that's why I've done all the things I've done. Mine were freedom and beauty. And that's the answer, I think, to your question of why I never felt guilty about having the freedom. Because it's a truly, truly core value for me. And it's something I need to breathe. It's the way more of a motivator for me than money or status or fame or any of those things that are motivating for people. And, you know, so running my own business was what I then discovered is I am really, really wired for being an entrepreneur because my freedom value is so high. That makes total sense then. That makes absolute sense. So yeah, I, I do not have that same problem because I actually, it took me about nine months in the transition where I didn't feel guilty for not working 80 hours a week. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so what did you, did, what were the areas you struggled with transitioning? I'll say, I think another piece of that is that and another driver of me starting the business, quite frankly, was that I had little kids. I had two little kids. They were, I think, three and five when I started the business. And I was really struggling to sort of be there at all the right times when my team needed me and also be there when my kids needed me. And I, I wasn't able to structure my time. It wasn't that I needed to work less. It was just that I needed to be in control of my time so that I could do the things I needed to do when I needed to do them. And it doesn't work like that when you're working with, you know, a team of 10 people who are, you know, in an office and, you know, you're at your kid's doctor's appointment. It's just not, <laughs> it's not ideal. So I think that also allowed me to not feel guilty about it because I was like, well, I'm also doing this not just for me, but I'm also doing it for them. Awesome. Yeah. And at little kids, it doesn't matter how big the deal is on the table. If they have a cold, you're at the doctor with them. Yeah. So they're first. Yeah. So, okay. Well, take us from your launching your own company and then bring us through to today. Yeah. So we started the company in the beginning, actually had a business partner, which, you know, is, was nice because it was, you have somebody to go through it with. And she was a designer and I was a strategist and we, a couple things were great. One was that we actually got a lot of work right away, which was, you know, validation from the beginning, like, okay, we're doing the right thing. We're going to be able to feed ourselves. We're going to be able to do interesting work. 
And in the beginning, you know, we wanted to be open to like, we'll do anything, you know, within the realm of what we actually know how to do. We weren't going to specialize by industry or, you know, we would do innovation, we would do positioning, we would do logo design and everything in between. And so, and I think that was actually a great strategy, the non-strategy strategy, when you start your own business for a limited time only, but in the beginning to sort of see what's out there and see what you really do enjoy doing and what people come to you, what there's a demand for. And you kind of watch yourself evolve. Where are you going and what are you becoming? Yeah. And then, you know, as happens, we suddenly, everything dried up, you know, a couple of years in, we're going, what are we, we're not doing anything differently. You know, have we just tapped out our whole network or like, did something happen? I mean, it was also the economy was, you know, this was now like 2000 and then trying to get my date straight. But anyway, the economy was not in a great place. And, and we were second guessing ourselves. Like, should we be doing this? You know? And what I now know is that that's the nature of this particular beast. It's cyclical. And, you know, here's another lesson is, you know, which is now going to sound trite coming out of my mouth, but you really get out what you put in. And so from a, that's true, like in so many ways, but from a business development perspective, what had happened to us, and it happened to me two or three more times before I finally figured it out. What had happened was that we were so busy and so focused on delivering for the clients that we had that we weren't doing any business development. And so when those projects ended, which projects always do, we were like, oh, what do we do next? And you know what? It takes a minute to like do business development. You don't just like, you know, end one project and then suddenly the phone rings. And so what I've learned, like I said, it took me a few more times of that happening to actually learn this. But what I have now learned is that you have to force yourself to carve out part of your time to be continually doing those business development activities, even when you're really busy and you're like, I, if I sold another project right now, I couldn't handle it. You still need to be selling, not selling, but like just connecting, no, you know, 100% marketing, have those. Yeah those streams going hundred percent. So that was a real lesson that, you know, especially as an individual business owner, that your job is not just working for your clients. Your job is working for yourself as well. Like you have to, that's, you actually have to like manage that as its own project. And I, I, in the beginning really thought the whole idea of marketing myself and kind of still do is really like distasteful. And (laughs) I thought I was going to hate selling and be really bad at it. And what I discovered pretty quickly and so happily is that it's just, don't think of it as selling. I mean, it's not really selling. It's just, you go and, you know, connect with interesting people and inevitably some of them will go, tell me more about what you do. I actually have a thing. And then you go and sit in a room or now a virtual room and you have a conversation and you get excited and passionate about something and that sells it for you. You don't have to go in and be like, how do I get these people's money? Which always feels kind of icky to me, but you can go in and be like, oh, this is so cool. I want to do this work with you. Yeah, let's do this together. And that's a whole different game and one that I really enjoy. So that's also been really nice.
Yeah. Real selling is finding what people need. And if you can serve them, match yeah. it up and do it. It's not that cheesy car salesman, insurance agent, just closing the deal, screwing yeah. people over. So that's awesome that you enjoy it. I like to use the word serve. I use that word a lot. And I really think about it in that way. Like I really enjoy helping people. And, you know, now that I'm really mid-career and I've been doing this for a long time, I have this like set of tools that I really can help people with. And, and that's, and that feels very good to me. That feels very gratifying. That's awesome, Susan. Yeah. Serving people is what it's all about. And then when you, whatever you give, it'll come back. Yeah. So to this point now in your story, you got, you got more, but yeah. from when we started to today, is there anything else we missed that you want to cover before we move forward? I think we've got the big blocks and pieces in the chronology here. Yeah. Oh, well, I got to ask you, you went from yourself in college and then with Boston consulting group, and then you're moving on. And then all of a sudden you have two kids. Where'd you meet your husband? Was he from work or did you meet him outside of that? Okay. So I married my business school sweetheart and he was like my, one of my best friends. And then after business school, we got married and we lived in New York city for how long? For seven years. And then we had kids and we are actually divorced, but we are still really close friends. And uh, that's a whole other podcast episode, if you're interested, <laughs> the <All good right. laughs> which it is possible, you know, with great love and respect and, you know, creating a different life from what you imagined. But yeah, so no, yeah, I didn't mean to make it. A I didn't mean to make it uncomfortable. It was just you were going on and then you're like two kids. I'm like, wait a second. Where'd this all tie <laughs> together? So, but that. The no, whole thing, that's like, okay. Hey, life is messy. And, you know, the word divorce is scary, but the actual living of it doesn't have to be. And, you know, we've created a really peaceful and, you know, very beautiful situation, actually. And we're both remarried and. We just have one great big blended family mess, which is sometimes messy, but also very beautiful. So, well, good. Well, good. So now where are you at today and where yeah. are you going? So, so what started to happen with the business after a few years was I started to get a lot of work in healthcare, specifically in digital health, like folks like WebMD and Medscape. And I thought, wow, I really like this. And I, I did some work for, you know, how do you brand a new medical device? And how do you name a new drug? And how do you create patient education materials for a clinical trial? And that's like learning a new language. It's really like learning Chinese. I mean, it's really a difficult new language when you start working in healthcare. And that was, yeah, that's another situation where I was very intimidated when I started going to those meetings where everybody's using acronyms and I didn't know what they meant. And I was scrambling to Google what that stuff was. And, but what I loved about it was that it helps you sorry, that it, it, it also felt like, you know, back to that idea of service, you know, I worked in consumer goods for the 
my whole career up until then. And, and I found it fun and inspiring, but you know, you're marketing soft drinks, you're marketing cereal, you're not saving the world. Right. And whereas, you know, if you're marketing a drug that's going to help save someone's vision, you kind of feel like, I mean, okay, I'm not the one actually saving the world, but I'm part of it. I'm supporting it. I'm close to it. And that felt really good to me. So I just started gravitating more and more toward healthcare clients. And, and now that's like more than 80% of my business. I mean, I really, I call myself a healthcare consultant now. Yeah. And let's, let's bring that up for the business owners and the consultants listening to you now all over the world, Susan, how did that come about? Did the original healthcare client come to you? Like, did that WebMD approach you based on reputation or did you approach them? You know, it was actually a friend who had worked in brand management. She had worked at P&G, so she really knew branding, but had spent the majority of her career after that at Genentech. And so she was very involved in the healthcare space. She knew me well. She knew the two worlds very well. And she actually had the idea, listen, what these guys need, it was actually for the medical device, I believe was the first project. And she said, you know what these guys need and they don't know they need it, but they actually need people who understand consumer branding because they're spinning in their own world of healthcare lingo and the agencies that serve healthcare are not typically as like visually oriented or creatively oriented. And she was like, they need you to come in and do like what you do for Pepsi, like a really sophisticated branding and naming job with like mood boards and take them to the next level of like how they're going to actually market this product and make it exciting and accessible for the people that it's going to serve. And, um, so grateful to her. She's actually sent me a lot of interesting projects over the years, but that was, that was it, you know? And like, if there's a takeaway from that again, it's like embrace kismet, you know, (laughs) things will come to you from unexpected places. And, And I could have said no to that. I could easily have said, I don't speak that language. I, I don't know how to do healthcare, but you know, I jumped in and she said, I'll help you. And I'll, you know, text you what, 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 what is it, what is it they're talking about in this meeting? Like, oh, that acronym means this. And, you know, we took it from there. Yeah. And you were given the opportunity, but you exceeded and like you went past the expectations because you did your best and you jumped in. You remind me of, you know who Guy Kawasaki is? Yeah. Yeah. He always jokes around, but it's true. His college roommate got him the gig at Apple, but obviously he worked his tail off after he got it. So enjoy it, take it any way you can get it and run. So so my son, I talked to him, you know, he's 18. He doesn't want my help getting a job. So I'm like, I respect him for that. But at the same time, I'm like, I want to smack you in the head. I'm like, life could be so much easier. So I'm glad you saw your friend and she helped you out and you guys ran with it. You know, networking is another word like selling that I've always hated. And I still kind of refuse to call it that because it sounds so smarmy, but it's really just like friends helping friends. And that feels good, you know, and I try to help other people, you know, in turn, you pass it on. Right. And it doesn't have to be, it's not nepotism that you're going to help. Oh, I have, you know, my buddy runs a business. You might want to talk to him. It's hard for kids to understand 
and my kids feel the same way, that that's not cheating. That's actually just like how people help each other, you know? Yeah. The old days, it's just, I know a guy, let me help you. You know, it's like the old fashioned. (laughs) All right. So keep going with your story, Susan. So get into healthcare and that's been, you know, really my bread and butter of my business for the last, I don't know, five, six, seven years. And then my, the, my latest thought kind of, again, on this theme of service and also on the theme of, you know, take unexpected things and say yes and run with them. So what started to happen is you know, friends or friends of friends would come to me and they would say, I know you don't do this because you work with big corporate clients, but could you help me with my small business? I can't pay you for, you know, a six month consulting job at your rates. I can't pay you for a two day consulting job at your rates, but can you just give me like the building blocks that I need to think about my brand? I need a new website. I just, you know, I just need to like polish it up think about what my messaging is going to be. Like I'm putting all this stuff out on social media. I don't even know what I'm saying. And, and I, I have done it sometimes for free, sometimes for like, you know, just a minimal expense, but what, and two things occurred to me. One is that there's a huge demand for this. And two is that I really enjoyed it. And well, and I guess the third was that all the same tools, all the same processes, all the same thinking that, that you would do with a billion dollar corporate brand is the same thing that you're gonna do with like, you know, Joe's roofing and painting company. It's exactly the same. Same fundamentals, just scalable. Yeah, so, so that's what I've been working on the last year is putting together well, originally I thought of it as workshops, but that quickly, like in-person workshops, and that quickly went by the wayside in March, like hmm, maybe not in-person workshops. So, but I've been developing, what I wanted to do is develop a tool, like a set of tools, like a toolkit that I could give in a very affordable way to people who are in this like early stage of, you know, building a business that they can either fully DIY, you know, their you know, work through the workbook on your own. And here's some templates for how to turn that into your brand messaging or do some like minimal, like a couple phone calls, a couple hours with me as an, on an advisory basis. And that's been going great. I've been t- test driving that for the last six months with businesses of all different kinds and all different sizes. I did a webinar on it the other day for a group of consultants actually, which I hadn't even thought of as a potential market. And it's been really well received. And I got to tell you, I so enjoy doing it because it really feels like so high impact, right? You know, like sometimes in a really large corporation, you feel like your impact might get lost because they've got many projects and huge budgets and, oh, that's nice. You guys did this for us. Let's see, maybe it'll sit in a drawer and maybe we'll do something with it. Whereas, you know, when you work with a small business owner, they're you know, that budget is meaningful to them and their time is meaningful to them. And they directly changes their life. Yeah. It directly changes their life. Yeah. So that I've really been enjoying. So that's what I've been up to. Yeah. And isn't it crazy too? Like obviously the, the jobs that pay our bills are great and we're thankful for the big corporations, but the most fulfilling ones are the ones you probably would never hear of otherwise. Yeah. Small businesses. 
It's true. So when you're working, whether it's with a small company or a huge conglomerate, what's good branding to you? Oh, okay. I got a couple answers to that. First of all, good branding is, I have three answers to that. Good branding is true to who you are. Because I think a lot of people try to go out and say like, oh, what do people want me to be? Or what do people expect in this space? But you really have to go and look at what is it that you can genuinely build on that's true about you. And again, that's true if you're, you know, an individual person with a shingle hung out. And it's true if you're a billion dollar health insurance company. The second thing I would say is consistency. And this is more like on a practical level, just that you're sort of saying the same thing about your brand across all your platforms, across all, like inside of all your messages. And then that is expressed visually in a consistent way. And this is something that's easy to say and extraordinarily hard to do for a couple of reasons. One is like in a larger company, you just got like many, many people handling that brand and just by definition, humans are individuals and they're all going to do it in their own special way. And you have to like, whoa, nope, bring it back. Here's the guardrails. Here's the do nots. And that's tough. And then the other thing, you know, I find personally, you know, even in a small business, like I get bored saying the same message over and over again. I have to really force myself to reinforce that message because, you know, I'm hearing myself saying it every day, but the people I'm talking to are hearing it for the first time or maybe the second time, but you know, it's, it's really important to kind of keep coming back to like, say something true, but then say it over and over again in the same way and have everything you do support that. And then the third thing, which maybe should have been the first thing, but is, you know, listen to your customers, consumers, constituents, whoever it is that you're serving you know, ask them what they need and what they're thinking, because you could guess and you should guess, like you should have a hypothesis, but you should also actually ask them both what they need. And then, you know, after they've worked with you, like, what was it that actually, you know, why did they choose you? What did they get out of that experience? Obviously, if they have feedback as well, that's, that's good. But I'm talking about it from more of a branding perspective. Like I was surprised and pleasantly surprised to learn, you know, that what my clients were getting out of working with me was this combination of creativity and strategy. And I, I, you know, it's funny, we just had this long conversation about it, but until a couple of years ago, even running my own business, I really just thought I was doing that because that's what I like to do. And I wasn't really sure. I mean, I was delivering strategy. I was delivering brand strategy. And I didn't realize that what my, <clears throat> the people who like working with me and have worked with me over and over again and refer people to me, the reason they liked working with me is because those, you know, the approach is a creative approach and it's different from what they're used to from, you know, other strategy agencies. And that was such an eye-opening <clears throat> experience. And I've had that experience on behalf of clients over and over and over again, where I go out on their behalf and talk to their customers and then bring feedback to say, you know, you think that what they're buying is X, but what they're buying is actually Y. 
And so you should be talking more about why, because you're doing both of those things. But the thing they're really buying is, you know, the relationship and not the data or whatever it is. Yeah. So that's good branding. And then how do you, with the branding, how do you find it most effective to build that emotional connection? So I think of it as, you know, if you think about how do you build an emotional connection with a human being, you know, with your friend, with your spouse, it's based on trust. You make promises and you keep them. You, you know, act with kindness and compassion, going back to that, you know, think about what they actually need, put yourself in their shoes. And I just think that's such a helpful, you know, anthropomorphize the brand is, is actually just a really helpful thing to do. And I, I do a lot of work in business to business, and it's especially helpful there because it's especially hard to remember that the buyer of your product is actually a human being with individual needs and aspirations because they're kind of buying on behalf of their corporation. And it's easy to think that the corporation is your client or your customer, but actually the individual human who's making the purchasing decision is your customer. And to think about, you know, your relationship, your brand's relationship with them is really important. Well said, yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's that human connection that trusts someone to hire somebody. And without that, you got nothing. So what do you think moving forward, you said you're basically putting together a program for smaller businesses is yeah. that at the place where it's ready now or what's the timeline where you think that's ready where our listeners, if they're interested, they can come visit you? Yeah. So I've been, I've been doing it, working, working the workbook with small business entrepreneurs for the last six months. And we're talking now in November. So it's been most of this year. It's actually been longer than that. I've been doing it since, well, I've been doing it on and off for years, but this particular package of workbook that I've created, I created in 2020. And I have created a free download that's just kind of like the overview of how it works, which is like the super DIY version, but it's free. And that's on my website. And and then there are options for, you know, if you want like the full workbook with the explanation of the exercises and some videos to help guide you through it you know, that's one option. And then there's another option where you get, you know, a couple hours with me helping you guide through, guide you through it and giving you some feedback and insights. And then there's kind of a full option where, you know, I'll actually help you write your messages and write your, you know, brand vision and kind of connect you to the next steps of like how to turn that into your deliverables, whether it's your website or your, you know, pitch deck or whatever. Awesome. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So if you're listening and then what is your email, your email, excuse me, what is your website? Just so the listeners know if they want to go there right now. Yeah. So electrifyyourwork.com is the landing page where you'll find the link to my full website for Susan Meyer studio, as well as downloads and video content and stuff like that. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Susan, I appreciate you and your time today and we do not have to cut this short or we don't have to go longer. Is there anything else you want to share with the audience? Any final closing thoughts, anything else like bits of wisdom or, Hey, we miss this giant part of my story, Dave, what are you doing? Now, so one of my favorite Dr. Seuss 
lines or there's, well, there's a whole poem that goes before this, but it starts with my hat is old, my tooth is gold. I have a bird I like to hold. Anyway, it ends up with, and now my story is all told. And it's my favorite passage from Dr. Seuss and maybe from anywhere because he tells these like 10 random things about himself, you know, like my hat is old, I have a bird. And then he goes, and that's my whole story. And I think it's hilarious. And it's a little bit like what we've been doing here today, right? Like, yes, my story is all told. Of course, there's more to the story, but I think we covered a lot of cool stuff. And, you know, I hope people take away some, you know, inspiration or insights or cool thoughts from this conversation. I, you know, parting thoughts, I'm, I'm in the middle of writing my uh, monthly newsletter, which by the way, you can also sign up for on the website. But I send out a monthly newsletter and it's kind of like, it's related to branding usually, but it's sort of ruminations on different topics. And, and one of the things, you know, that we talked about, one of the key parts of branding about that connection with the customer, I often think of and talk about it as empathy. And that's what I'm writing about right now. So I guess I'll offer that as a closing thought. It's just the importance of empathy, particularly right now in a world of chaos and division, you know, in this country anyway. If you're listening to the, oh, oh, I'm sorry. If you're seeing me smile, it's nothing against what you're saying. It's because I am not an empathetic person by nature. And I started flashing back to the Myers-Briggs test. And I'm like, I need to listen to this more than anybody. So if you're out there and empathy and sympathy are not high on your chart, listen to Susan right now. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's hard for everybody, honestly, you know, because you get wrapped up in what you're doing and you're in your world as you should be because you're you. And just to remind yourself on a regular basis to step back and think about what it's like to be in somebody else's shoes, particularly if, you know, it's sort of a client that you're serving or, you know, a family member that, you know, you're, you're in a relationship with, it goes such a long way to, you know, think about it and then ask them about it. And you may have something that never occurred to you that, you know, you could be doing better or that's really bothering them. And it, it does wonders for, you know, moving that relationship forward, whether it's a professional or a personal relationship. So that's my closing thoughts, the power of empathy. Well, you are truly a remarkable woman. Thank you so much for being with today, today, Susan. To our listeners, hang tight. We're going to give you a little bit more information at the close of this. So give us just a little couple more minutes. And Susan, thank you so much for being here today. We appreciate you and we hope to stay in touch. Thank you so much, David. Appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Have a great day and we will see you soon. So what did you think of that episode? Remarkable, right? Susan's story is amazing. And it teaches us that we all can struggle with imposter syndrome and push through it. We can all be a different piece, but that brings value to the whole. So I am so thankful for Susan and I'm so thankful for you. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Thanks for sharing it with your family and friends. We're in over 76 countries now around the globe. That just blows my mind and brings joy to my heart. Let us know how we can help you grow. 
Let us know how we can make it easier for you to reach and share the podcast with friends and family. Please leave us a five-star review in whatever directories you're using to listen to the podcast, YouTube, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever it is. And also for you sticking around and being a loyal guest, friend, and listener, if you go to our website and shoot me an email through the contact us page and say, Dave, I have a remarkable story to share. I want to start my own podcast or I have a concept I want to share with the world. To the first 10, I'm going to give a free $399 class with lifetime membership of how to podcast. So go to my website, davidpasqualone.com. Check out the page that says contact us. And if you're one of the first 10 people, you get a $399 class, lifetime enrollment. You have access to me through emails and text and be able to ask questions. So how you can not only launch your podcast successfully in eight weeks or less, but continue to grow it. So I can't give it free to everybody right now, but I can give it free to the next 10. So check out the website, enjoy it. And it's my gift to you. And if there's a few more, maybe we'll let them in too, right? We love you. Thanks for listening. Please share this podcast. Tell your friends and family about it. We want to grow and help the world, not for our sakes, but just to help everyone and glorify God. Thank you so much. See you next week, Tuesday at 2 a.m. Central Standard Time or whenever you get a chance to check it out. Ciao. The Remarkable People Podcast. Check it out. Remarkable People Podcast. Listen, do, repeat for life.